Welcome to the Alliance Live podcast, spotlighting emerging issues, examples of good practice and innovation taking place within health and social care in Scotland. Well, welcome everyone to this Alliance Live interview. I'm Lucy Mulvey, the Alliance's Director of Policy and Communications, and I'm delighted to be speaking with James Dopling, the Head of Scotland at the British Heart Foundation. And James took up his program in January 2020 and his extensive experience in the charitable sector, including roles with the Samaritan Scotland, Shelter, Breakthrough Breast Cancer, Oxfam and Cancer Research UK. We're going to be talking about heart and circulatory disease in Scotland, COVID-19 and the British Heart Foundation's forthcoming 60th anniversary. So welcome, James, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lucy. And mostly that makes me sound really old. So I'm really, really delighted to be joining you today. You've packed an awful lot into some very short young years, shall we say then, instead. Over um, time. <laughs> so the British Heart Foundation is 60 years old this year. Uh, and when it comes to heart and circulatory diseases, a great deal has obviously happened in terms of research and healthcare during that time. And we will come on to talk a bit more about that. But before we do, can we start by looking at the impact of heart and circulatory disease in Scotland? What do we know? Well, right now, what we know is that heart and circulatory diseases cause around 50 deaths a day in Scotland. That's almost a third of all the deaths in any one year. And one in eight of those people are still of working age. Um, and also we're talking about over 700,000 people who are currently living with heart and circulatory disease. So that could be heart failure, recovering from a stroke, vascular dementia, or type two diabetes. Uh, and also we know that the rates of some of those conditions are much more heightened in uh, deprived communities. And coronary heart disease itself remains Scotland's biggest killer. And reflecting back on one of my other roles, um, Coronary heart disease amongst women uh, takes more lives, three times as many lives, in fact, as breast cancer. So it, heart disease itself is still a major cause of ill health and death in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that research um, has been due in, in, in the main as well, in part to British Heart Foundation research itself, because um, BHF is the biggest independent funder of research into heart and circulatory diseases in Scotland mm -hmm. and, and the UK. Um, so as we look forward to the 60th birthday for BH um, British Heart Foundation this month, what would you say have been some of the biggest breakthroughs in that last uh, 60 years? Well, the important good news to say is that since BHF started, um, the number of deaths from heart conditions in Scotland has, has halved. So we undoubtedly are making progress as a nation and in terms of the work that BHF has done. Now, amongst that is that our researchers and our researchers contributed to understanding which led to the first UK heart transplant, a process uh, that if you describe it to someone 100 years ago, they, they couldn't have believed it would happen. Um, our researchers have led and contributed to the development of pacemakers, something in the news very recently, something that keep people alive for longer than they ever would have done in the past. Our researchers have contributed to the research that understood which drugs can prevent clots and treat heart attacks that way. And even now we're looking at um, contributing to the role of genetic testing for certain inherited heart conditions. So right across the piece for the last 60 years, British Heart Foundation's researchers in Scotland and the rest of the UK have been in, 
you know, incredibly important in the progress we've made. And as well as the research, obviously, since it was founded, there have been other impacts by BHF on the nation's heart health and quality of life. Could you tell us a bit about some of those? Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, most recently, we've seen that in the organisation Opt-Out in Scotland, which was something that BHF was a leading campaigner for, um, because we need to make sure that appropriately organs are available for heart transplants um, where they're needed. Um, we played a key role in the last few years around Nation of Lifesavers, which is an initiative which led to all 32 local authorities in Scotland committing to uh, ensure that high school students were trained in CPR. Um, and I mean, if you think about the events of the last few weeks, particularly at the European Football Championships, the mm. importance of CPR, the importance of defibrillators has never been uh, more evident. And we've seen thousands more people visit our websites to get advice on CPR and on defibrillators just a result of something like that happening. So being having a voice on those issues, having advice to give and information to share is something that's incredibly important and sits alongside the research we're doing up and down the country. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the other big issues as well as the Euros uh, ongoing at the moment is COVID-19 and this global pandemic that we've all um, succumbed to and, and been living through. Um, what's been the impact of it on the British Heart Foundation as an organisation? Sure. Um, well, I was doing a TV interview uh, last year outside one of our charity shops, which is shut. And the journalist had just come from a small community-based project in the West Coast and said before we started to me, um, well, I mean, you've got broad shoulders, so, so you'll be fine. Um, now, it is true. It, in comparison to most other, if not almost all other charities in the UK, BHF is an enormous organization. Our income is in the 300 million mark. Um, we employ about 4,700 people across the UK. We've got 750 charity shops. We're the biggest uh, furniture retailer in the UK, full stop. You know, we are a massive organization, but with that, we, we have big ambitions and we're addressing one of the biggest killers in Scotland. So when we were hit by COVID-19 in terms of our own activities, we were hit proportionally as hard as anybody else. Um, our shops had to shut our mass participation events had to stop. Our community groups who are so integral to our fundraising had to stop what they were doing. Um, our estimates are that we lost between about 50 and 60 million pounds in one year alone. And that's halving the amount of investment we're able to make into new research. If you extend that to other medical research charities, the household names we all know and love like Diabetes Scotland, Cancer Research UK, Medical research charities who underpin the developments we make to address some of the major killers in this country have taken a massive hit. It won't just be this year, it could be next year and the year, year after. We don't receive any government funding for our medical research. Um, you know, and we live in a society which fantastically enables this work to happen, but largely through charitable donations. So it's been a, a year that's hit us incredibly hard. We've had to make redundancies, we've had to reduce some of our programs, um, we try to retain every penny we can within our, within our research program and our work to benefit patients. And we're slowly beginning to see um, signs of recovery, but that's going to take a good while. And of course, um, we all know that the pandemic is also having um, huge impact on the health of the nation. Um, uh, how concerned is the foundation about the impact of COVID on 
particularly on people who are living with heart and circulatory yep. disease? Well, what became clear relatively early on, and we, we, we have a BHF data science centre, so we can look not just within Scotland, but the UK and globally about trends and, and our understanding of COVID as quickly as we could, is that uh, people with underlying uh, heart conditions were some of the most affected by COVID and, and, and the most likely to have hospital admissions. So there was an immediate concern there. Uh, we were able to ensure that our researchers were um, able and funded either through government programs or specifically um, from BHF to look at things like scanning the heart of patients um, who had COVID and subsequently to see what lasting damage there might be additionally. We were able to uh, get Glasgow researchers to look at the interaction between medication for high blood pressure and COVID, because this came at such a rush to so much of the medical profession, trying to understand COVID plus, plus those other uh, health conditions, which we all um, experience anyway, was incredibly challenging. Um, and we're still not nearly at the point of understanding what that is. And there's no doubt we're going to be living with the effects of the pandemic on the health service, on people and patients for many years to come. Um, but I guess for us as well is important is that COVID doesn't mean people don't get heart conditions. It doesn't mean they mm -hmm. don't have heart attacks. And certainly early days of COVID, we saw a marked decrease in the number of people going to their GPs or A&E with symptoms of heart conditions. Now, we did quite a lot of work at that time to make sure that those people were reassured that they absolutely should get in touch with their GP, go to A&E. I know for individuals that was a quite a frightening time, but we didn't want to see um, those conditions uh, worsen or more lives be lost because people weren't comfortable getting them treated. So one of the things that British Heart Foundation and British Heart Foundation in Scotland is particularly known for is the fantastic work that the organisation does to inform and influence national policy um, and do public affairs work. And the government has published a new heart disease action plan earlier this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you think we need a new strategy on heart disease in Scotland and what you make of the government's plan? Sure, absolutely. Um, still too many people are living with and too many people are dying from heart conditions. Um, and the last uh, strategy published in 2014, you know, that, that's, a, that's a long time ago in terms of our experience, understanding of the conditions uh, that we most want to address. Um, so we were pleased to see the government publish its own action plan after we'd gone through an 18 month process of engaging with clinicians and patients and you know, voices of those who care about this issue uh, to publish our own uh, strategy ahead of that. And whilst, you know, we welcome that we can see a lot of commitments that we wanted to see addressed uh, within the action plan published back in the spring, I think our concern is about how quickly that can happen for very understandable reasons in some ways as the NHS tries to recover and the people within it have to recover from the 18 months that we've just all experienced, but also the amount of investment behind it, which obviously is critical. Now, we're looking at um, you know, 42 million pounds worth of commitments to diabetes as a result of the strategy there. Um, way more in terms of cancer, around 117 million. And in the last strategic period, only about a million pounds committed to actions coming out of the heart disease uh, strategy. So we feel that very much the poor relation of those conditions. Now, obviously, you know, new government in place, new CAPSEX uh, and ministers there to talk to and engage with this issue. Um, so we're pleased with the commitments. We're pleased with the, uh, the words and they've got the right things in there. 
we just need to see um, you know, governments step up and really take as seriously as we feel is necessary um, the challenges around patient pathways, around the fact that people are living longer and past heart conditions that previously might have taken their lives and the challenges that presents, um, the implications for palliative care, where we know that heart patients are not always well represented or able to access palliative care in the same way as others do. And in understanding the picture, we're, we're under-informed in terms of data collection. And while it sounds not that thrilling, understanding what the data is telling us, better collection and dissemination of that is going to drive service improvement. And that's what we need to see. Thanks so much. Um, if I just want to return briefly to COVID, um, but more because you took up your post um, as the new head of the VHF mm -hmm. Scotland in January 2020, really not long before the first lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're just very interested in what your reflections are now, you know, more mm -hmm. year and a half sure. uh, of being in post and the challenges, um, you know, in terms of the pandemic and kind of leading an organisation through all of this. Sure. Um, I think it was about after week five that I came back from a trip to London, actually, and uh, didn't feel particularly well. I had a kind of persistent cough. Um, but it was before even we were talking about lockdowns or, um, you know, staying at home for extended periods. So I, I kind of chose to, I was aware I might have symptoms. There was no way to get tested at that time. So from that point onwards, kind of early March, I was working from home, um, but I saw an organisation have to have to change and adapt incredibly quickly. Um, you know, and having to shut all of our shops in such short order was difficult for the staff themselves and for the volunteers without whom we couldn't run the 75 shops in Scotland. Fundraisers who couldn't do the, the events they'd got planned for the next week or month, or as it turned out, year, who'd lost family and friends to heart conditions, not being able to do what they wanted to do to help us. And our labs being shut down and the, and the bright young minds that we employ, uh, you know, we fund across uh, Scotland, not being able to do the work that fires them up each and every day was, was pretty hard to take. Um, but, you know, off the back of that, we saw um, was a young girl who actually swam the length of the English Channel by tethering herself within a paddling pool in her garden. Um, we've seen people be ingenious and creative. We've seen people do the kilt walk in numbers that we hadn't seen at VHF for years before that. We've seen scientists return to like whatever capacity they can and work out clever ways to do their work and actually engage more greatly with um, partner organizations across the globe to progress science. Mm -hmm. um, and the I remember the first day I was in um, the, one of our home stores, the furniture stores, uh, when they opened ahead of uh, the UK and I was on Sky News. We had a, you know, people queuing virtually to come in the door when the, store, the shop first opened. And after my little segment on TV, someone rang out from the south of England and bought the sofa that was behind me. Uh, so it showed that people were desperate, willing and keen to be back involved in their communities by going to our shops, by giving, by participating in the work that we do. So it was, it was, it was heartening in that respect. Um, you know, and our 60th from what we imagined has changed dramatically. It's not something we'll be able to recognise in person as much as we'd have liked. And it's certainly, it's, it's, it's really just a stopping off point for us. 60 means nothing other than for the progress we've made. You know, it's an internal thing about a charity that existed for so long. So, you know, while I'm delighted to be alongside so many of our staff, volunteers and supporters, it really only means something for the progress we've made and the lives that we've saved. And what are the hopes for the next 60 years then? 
Well, as I said, some of the things we've achieved already, I don't think anyone could have imagined 60 mm -hmm. short years ago. I think we'll be looking and, and have ambitions around curing, treating much more successfully heart failure, something that we can't do uh, as nearly as much as we would like to uh, right now, that more people survive a heart attack. Um, there are 3,000 out-hospital cardiac arrests in Scotland every year. Only one in 10 of those people survive. We must be able to do more in those situations. And then we can find better street treatments for stroke and vascular dementia. These are conditions affecting thousands of people in this country. Our scientists are in a prime position. And I, what I'm really proud about, about BHF, particularly in Scotland, is um, we have two of our centres of research excellence. We fund more than 350 scientists in six cities in nine institutions across Scotland. We are doing world-leading work right here. And it gives me real inspiration that we do that much of it here because of our history of excellence in medical research. So I'm excited about that future. We can't do any of it without the general public going into our shops, donating their sofas, volunteering their time or giving us money. And yeah, we're big, but we've never needed that more than now. We lost a million pounds for every year we've existed to up until last year. And we want to get that back and we need everyone to come alongside us to help that happen. And of course, in terms of looking at the future, at the beginning uh, of the interview, when we started talking, you'd mentioned um, some, you know, the staggering statistics around women and heart disease. And we know that the Women's Health Plan is shortly to be coming out from yep. the Scottish Government, which will have a specific focus on women's heart health. And we're hoping actions that will mm -hmm. be aimed at targeting that. So there's going to be that that strategy action, but also more action action, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And it's something we've done some work on in a report called Bias and Biology, which looked at the, the, the disadvantages that women face throughout the experience they might have, have of heart conditions, from experiencing different symptoms to stoically, potentially, or just not recognizing them in terms of going to their GP or A&E, um, from the way that clinicians treat um, women when they are reporting signs and symptoms and some perception uh, amongst you know the, the wider public that these aren't things that happen to women you know and that fact that, that three times as many women die of, of uh, heart disease than of breast cancer a cause very close to my heart which shocks me when I arrived here and realizing that there might be inherent biases within the way that women are recognized and treated for those conditions was, was alarming and I think the other thing I, I, I've recognised in the time I've been here, you know, we worked last year to publish a report into non-communicable diseases, which are responsible for two thirds of all the deaths in Scotland, working alongside diabetes, cancer charities, alcohol uh, related organisations to address those public health concerns mm -hmm. around alcohol, um, tobacco use and diet. Now, we can address some of this uh, deficit in, in Scotland. We can address some of these causes that are taking lives of thousands of people. And we can do this alongside other conditions. Um, you know, and coming from Samaritans, it struck me um, that mental health and heart and circular disease is not really recognized. The fact that, like it was for my uncle about two months after I started the job, he had a cardiac arrest. He died for a short period of time. He was brought back to life by paramedics at the football ground where he was watching a match. Now, the impact that has on an individual for the rest of their life, thinking that might happen again, worried every day about whether they're doing enough or too much or putting themselves at risk. Again, we're not doing enough to recognize the challenges there. And I think, you know, person-centered care, which I know you probably say every other day or minute, Lucy, I think is more true 
you know, for, for heart circulatory diseases than I realise, but I think possibly it's not been seen as integral within that discussion as it might be. So I think there's lots we can do there too. Fantastic. Well, lots to look forward to. And um, thank you so much, James, for making the time to speak to me today. Uh, very you. many happy returns. Thank to you. BHF. I'll say that on behalf of the charity. <laughs> um, and um, really looking forward to continuing to work together in the future too. So thank you so much. Good to speak to you, Lucy. Thank you. You can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Alliance Live also produce webinars, video interviews and case studies. Watch these by visiting www.alliance-scotland.org.uk forward slash live. To follow along regularly with Alliance Live content, use the hashtag Alliance Live on Twitter.